And welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is a show where I get to talk about sports, I get to talk about business, and everything in between. Today, my special guest, I have Samson Feldman. Oh, got to say your name right. Well, I don't know where that came from. Samson Feldman. There we go. Corporate consultant at Genesco Sports Enterprises, formerly new business development at the NBA G League and partnership marketing at BSE Global. Samson, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. Pleasure is all mine. We connected uh, a while ago and then the whole, you know, pandemic thing got in the way. And then you saw the interview I did with your former coworker, Bob Lynch, which was pretty cool. And you said, hey, man, we were supposed to do that. Why don't you have me on the show? I was like, hell yes, Samson, let's get this. So we are here now. I'm very excited to talk to you about what you've done, how you've done it, of course. There's some really interesting places that you've been, especially what you're doing now with Genesco, of course. But the first question I have for everybody, Samson, is why do you love sports so much? I love sports because it just it's all, it's all I really wanted and knew and wanted to be good at and successful and at starting at a young age. And then, you know, as I got older, you know, you start thinking about careers and how do you turn a passion into a, a profession? Um, so I just naturally was already, already gravitated towards sports. Um, and I figure, you know, why not combine that and, you know, make it a profession and, uh, try to you know do something with it at what age was that like a realization like I kind of knew sophomore year of high school I was not going MLB uh, you know I, I kind of knew wasn't going to the show anytime soon and that's kind of where I started to pivot and understand like all right well like what do you do if my dream of being a baseball player growing up is not going to happen so I guess like at what point in time did you did that finally I guess did that click and you're like all right well okay now how can I stay within this passion just do something else within it I think in high school, I, mean, I realized, look, I'm not I'm not going to be a professional athlete. I'm, I don't think I'm going to be a, a collegiate athlete either. Uh, so, you know, start, as I was starting to apply to schools, you know, starting to think about what do I want to major in? Um, and my, you know, my, my dad worked in business and I just had a, also just a natural gravitation towards business. So I figure, again, why not take you know, my, my interest in business and try to turn that into a profession and a career in the sports industry. So that's kind of where I think it started within high school. And then just try to, you know, say, let me, let me try to study business in, in college and figure out how do I kind of navigate the sports industry from there. I love it. And I'm sorry, but I do have, I have a little shameless plug here. I did just finish writing my first manuscript of my book called Winning in Sports Business, where I got to interview incredible people like yourself, some a little higher, some a little lower on the totem pole on how, what they did and how they did it. So that will be released December of 2020. So I, I apologize, Samson, had to, had to scoot that one in there. But with that in mind, I mean, all good. The coolest thing I think about sports business is that it's an industry, right? And that's why I really love what you've done throughout your career. And I think too many people don't realize that it's a, sports is an industry. Consumer packaged goods is an industry, right? Like health and wellness is an industry. There are so many different opportunities. You don't just have to sell tickets for the Mets where, you know, they're going to lose every other game anyway. So with that in mind, I guess where and why did your path lead down this brand consulting, this partnership marketing, this sports marketing, like, I, again, business is huge. Why did you, I guess, how were you funneled into this path? Sure. I think I just started with my first internship and, you know, started with my first experience in the industry, which was, uh, I interned at IMG, 
uh, well, at, at the time it was IMG and, mm-hmm. you know, eventually became IMG WME and Endeavor mm-hmm. 160 oh, yeah. over 90. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was, uh, I was working in their, um, consulting group, um, and got to help, uh, I got some exposure to the Kia and MBA partnership and what it meant to be, you know, a, a sports marketing agency working on behalf of a brand that is spending a ton of dollars against this you know, global property in the MBA. Um, and, you know, just figuring out, and I think that experience is like in the, working at an agency, of course I was representing the brand, but just then you're interacting with the property. It, I, the agency side gave me a good, just holistic view of the industry as a whole. Um, so that was, you know, my first experience. Um, and then I always just, once I, once I had that experience, I, I just loved, I think, Brand, working with brands and I love partnerships. I love trying to create value. And that's what I saw, you know, these sponsorship relationships as was, you know, partnerships and how are brands extracting value from the property and, and vice versa. And I think, you know, that's, a, that's something I enjoy is kind of just always try to find solutions, trying to bring people together, bring partners together and, you know, where everyone feels like it's mutually beneficial and everyone feels like they're gaining something out of it. Win, 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 as Michael Scott would say, we all love the office, right? But I, I think, you know, obviously where you start is really important, right? It's always interesting. You know, I'm sure there was more than one internship you could have got. Obviously, you know, IMG, you know, very well-known brand, well-known name, let's say. I mean, it's interesting because you might've been able to go somewhere else and you would be going down a completely different path, hopefully still within sports, but you never know. So another thing that I... I I saw when I did a little research on, on, you know, your career and your path, one place that you were at the Manhattan Sports Business Academy. Uh, it's really, really interesting. It's in New York City, a buddy of mine, you know, shout out Nick Hayden. He's actually currently working there in some capacity. Sorry, Nick, don't remember exactly what it is, but he does something. He's like the, the director, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, it's a little different now with the pandemic than than what you were doing. But with that in mind, what like tell me a little bit about the Manhattan Sports Business Academy and I guess how that was able to help even further kickstart your career. Sure. So I went to NYU and when I was at NYU my senior year, you know, that's when it was kind of pedal to the metal. What am I going to do after I graduate? So one of those one of the things I did was the the IMG internships that I talked about. Um, but then, you know, after I, I actually dur- so during that time when I was at school, as I was networking, I, I met the one of the co-founders of MSBA, uh, Ben Sterner, who runs his own agency uh, called Leverage Agency. And I brought him in as a speaker to speak to the students uh, my senior year. So that was the start of the relationship. Um, I, and then, you know, once I graduated, um, as I was coming up on graduation, I didn't have a full-time offer. Um, you know, my school, you know, we had a sports business program, but I was in the undergraduate business school. So it was, you know, it was very much, I had to kind of go out on my own and figure out my own opportunities. So um, I eventually decided, you know, if I really want to make the, a career out of this, I, I saw this program MSBA as really just a great way to just kind of get a full understanding of the industry. Um, and, you know, it was, again, I didn't have a full-time offer and I just thought this was going to be the best I think investment uh, to help set me up for success. So through the program, they helped me. They actually helped me find another internship. I interned at Fox Rock Partners, which is a boutique uh, 
sports marketing consulting agency. Um, they also helped set me up with a mentor. They helped uh, do, we did like speaker series and office visits. So I got to go to the NFL headquarters, got to listen to their CMO talk about the NFL strategy and how they were trying to go abroad. And just a, it was just like a, again, just like a really a 360 view of the industry. Um, and I made a ton of connections, you know, whether it's just my, the other classmates. Um, and again, this was the first year of the program. So all of us were kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, we felt even closer because I think we all took this, this risk of like, of this program. And, you know, obviously the fact that today it's still going on and it's, it's even better than ever. I mean, every year it gets better and better. Um, but you know, that, that really gave me a, a really wide lens of, of the industry. Um, and I met a ton of people and, you know, I'm sure as you've heard and you know, by now and speaking to all these people, networking, networking, networking. I mean, it's, it's not just who, you know, it's how you know these people. And I think MSBA, you know, as, as time has gone on, I've, I've stayed involved too, to also give back and be a mentor. And it's just, it's, uh, you know, just, it, it just kind of, it's a gift that keeps on giving. And it, it, every year, just more and more students get involved and more mentors get involved. And it just creates this bigger and bigger network. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty special program. And I'm very proud to say that, you know, I'm a part of it. Yeah, especially that first year, that initial year, right? As you said, you guys all took this risk, you, the guys and girls of that first initial class. I mean, that's a leap of faith, right? Like it's, I'm going to not not quite put my career on pause, but you're not really, you know, it's not like you're actively, I don't even know how to say it, but like you're going through this program for a very specific reason. I'm sure maybe your parents or your friends are like, dude, what are you doing? Just go get a job, right? And you're like, no, I, I have to do this. This is how I get the job I want. So, you know, it's it's a, it's an incredible program. I was actually billed to be a mentor this year, so I was really excited. But again, as we've seen, the world kind of turned upside down, unfortunately, so I didn't get that opportunity. But no, I'm glad that you keep giving back to it. And, you know, obviously, if it's that big of an impact on your life, it's great that you're still involved in the program as well. No, it's awesome. And um you know, first off, I would say, you know, I'm glad to hear that you, you know, you have interest and, you know, had an opportunity. I, I again, I encourage you and anyone, you know, listening in to definitely, uh, you know, consider figuring out how to, how to join, whether it's, or just get involved, whether it's being a mentor or maybe, you know, uh, you know, a college student that, or someone that's interested in sports. It's just a, it's just a good, you know, view of it and, you know, it gives you that full perspective. And, you know, to your point earlier, I mean, yeah, my, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, especially coming out of school that you get pressure from your parents to get a job right away. And yeah, I did have opportunities outside of sports, um, you know, other offers to, to, you know, work right away. But uh, I was fortunate enough where uh, I told my parents, look, I'm really passionate about the sports industry. I want to figure out how to, you know, what I can do here. And, you know, they said, okay, you know, if you think this is going to be the, the, the right opportunity for you to help you succeed, like, you know, well, let's, let's do that. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I think it definitely helped, uh, shape my, mm-hmm. my path moving forward and help me get to where I am today. Love it. And you're, you're in a pretty cool spot again, and I'm excited to get to talk about that, but there's a few stops along the way I want to talk about as well, but getting back to just the, uh, the MSBA for a second, what was that, I guess, first job right out of the MSBA that you were able to achieve, again, going through this program, networking with all these people and being a part of that, uh, that again, that initial class. Yeah. So interestingly, one of the other co-founders, uh, his name, David Ostriker, also a veteran in the industry. Um, you know, he's a, he's a close mentor of mine. He, uh, he knew, obviously, I was you know trying to find the job, like most of the students coming out of it. 
And, um, you know, he actually said, you know, Samson, why don't you, I understand your job search. You know, let me, I can help. Uh, let me see how I can help you. And, you know, you do your job search, but in the meantime, why don't you actually help me with getting MSPA ready for summer number two? So I, I thought, you know, great, amazing opportunity. Why, you know, so I ended up working for him about, you know, two, three months trying to probably maybe similar to what your, your, your buddy Nick's doing. Uh, so helping with, you know, admissions, recruiting. And, you know, this was again, you know, second, not even, you know, the full year of the program being live and, uh, it was very startupy and just working r- very closely with David, you know, doing anything and everything, marketing, uh, you know, just trying to get the word out on this program, um, you know, setting up the application, whatever it was. So uh, I did that for two, three months while I was job searching. And then uh, eventually my landed my first job, uh, which was at Horizon Media. And I was doing brand strategy uh, on the Capital One uh, account. So basically handling all their media buy, media strategy and, and sports Sports sponsorships mm-hmm. uh, for Capital One's credit cards. Capital One Bowl, baby. Let's uh, let's go. That was probably a lot of fun. A lot of college football there. So um, I'm sure you had an absolute blast. I got to ask, did you meet Jennifer Gardner by any chance? I did not. Ah, I did right. not. Mm, um, Unfortunately, I know next missed time, opportunity. Right? Next but, time uh, meet her, but next time, uh, I did get I think... to go to uh, the, the NCAA Final Four that year, 2013, down in Atlanta, okay. which was that was Honestly, pretty sweet. Way cooler. Sorry, Jennifer Gardner. But that is way cooler. I'd much yeah. rather do that. That is awesome, man. Kudos. Congratulations there. Um, so yeah, shout out to the Manhattan's business business sports business academy. If nobody, if you don't know what it is, definitely look it up. It is a cool, cool program. If you have any questions, ask me. I'll introduce you directly to my friend Nick, who is currently helping out with the program too. So very, very good stuff there. So obviously you had a couple steps along the way. I do want to highlight a couple of the positions you were in. Namely, uh, we'll start with the BSE Global position. So BSE Global is, uh, so explain it to me. It's the agency or the ownership group that works with the Nets, the Islanders, and the Barclays Center. So BSE Global is really the, well, at, you know, at the time, it was just the, it's the parent company to, okay. to Barclays Center, the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, eventually also we started handling the New York Islanders yeah. business operations. We uh, also created the Long Island Nets, the, MB, you know, the Nets G League team. Uh, so really, yeah, just the, really the parent company, and it really and it, the name that name also changed over time. But BSC was uh, Brooklyn Sports Entertainment, mm-hmm. and then it became BSC Global. Mm, yeah, yeah, you, you kind of have to drop the Brooklyn if you're going global. Uh, shout out Brooklyn, yeah. but I think so. So a couple, it's a really interesting spot to get in, right? So you're working with an NBA team. You're working with an NHL team eventually, and we'll get to like the the inclusion of the Islanders because they came in about halfway or part of the way through your time there. You're working with this venue, you know, you got concerts, you have all these things, and it's in a it's in a spot that never had this NBA team before, right? So I'm from New Jersey, so I grew up a Nets fan because we had two teams here in New Jersey, the Devils and the Nets. So I was like, well, I have to root for them, right? Um, that and the XFL New Jersey New York Hitmen. I, I was a fan of them yeah. as well, but. With that in mind, like, what is it like working through this company, BSC, to the, the diversity of potential partnerships and, and trying to, do you then, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, do you go to a partner and say, hey, I can align you with all of these things? Or is it, hey, you know, we're, we're going to utilize you for this or we're going to utilize you for that? Like, how did you go about those conversations and those meetings to, as you were saying before, add value and make sure that we're all hitting that win-win-win opportunity? Sure. So m- most of my work there was really, I was in the partnership marketing group. So mm-hmm. we were really, it was more, 
you know, account management, activation, um, but then yes, up the ability to upsell. I did right. help on some new uh, some new business as well, um, but main, my main focus was you know partnership marketing and upselling existing clients. Um, with BSC, I mean, I started at a very special time. I started uh, it was the, about one year after they they were the team was in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. so this was going into season two. And I also grew up as a New Jersey Nets fan, originally from New Jersey as well. Right. So, you know, to finally, you know, it was also a dream come true for me to work for my favorite team and also to, to, you know, as a fan growing up and to be a part of that transition, you know, we both know it took a long time Mm -hmm. to finally get that team to Brooklyn. Um, So then again, to be a part of it. And then, you know, when I started, that was right after um, the big trade, you know, so we got Pierce, Mm -hmm. we got Garnett, um, and then we hired Jason Jason Terry. Yeah, we got Jason Terry. Terry. <laughs> don't forget Jason Terry, the Jet, and then uh, and then we hired Jason Kidd as the coach. And you know we're on, next thing you know we're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So um, you know special time that I started, uh, and then you know it was just I think you know it, the team was just you know just the brand itself was it was very hot from the get go. I think mm-hmm. naturally partners wanted to affiliate themselves you know with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, you know, being this new team in 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 the in you know in the big market, um, and then as you know, as time went on, like as I, I start as I as I you know started to gain more responsibility, started to uh, manage more accounts and and some more you know more blue chip brands, you know, once you know as as time went on and as we brought on like the business operations for the Islanders or the 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 you know started you know working on the the G League's Long Island Nets, it was at that point I had, you know, strong relationships with these accounts and partners that it, it made just for an easy conversation to say, Hey, you know, you know, we've, this partnership with the Nets has been doing pretty well. Um, you know, we, we're also starting to handle, you know, the Islanders and Long Island Nets, you know, here's some of the different, you know, assets that we think we can replicate from your Nets partnership, or here's some new types of, you know, executions and programming we can look at. And you know that's and that's how the conversation started. So I think it was helpful to have like that existing relationship already. Show you know we can we can activate a partnership, uh, you know, with one team. You know, why can't we start looking at different mm-hmm. sports and different types of properties? And how how did you go about those conversations? And and I guess like obviously it's not one size fits all, right? Like if someone is a hockey brand, right, they're not just going to be like, yeah, shoot, let's let's advertise in basketball. Like obviously the demographics right. are different, the numbers are different, but how how like do you figure out what like what are you looking at as the strategic guy behind the scenes? What are you looking at to say, all right, this is working really well with the Nets? Hey Islanders, they're coming in. We think this aspect of the Islanders business could connect really well with what you're doing. Like, how are you looking at these companies and these partners again? Because you're not just trying to throw stuff at a wall and make a bunch of money. Like, we can make a bunch of money doing anything. You obviously have some morals and integrity, and and we all say thank you for that, Samson. But how did you look at those conversations, and and how do you know when something is really a fit for one of these brands? Sure, I think at the end of the day, you you can't you can't force anything down people's throats, right? And you have to you have to really find the need and 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 create it. Um, but again, I think naturally though, there it's just problem solving and just you know and you know ultimately the, things have to make sense, right? I mean, you have to you know look at the demographics, right? I mean, obviously the 
the Brooklyn Nets demo is different than New York Islanders demo. I mean, even just geographically, mm-hmm. it's it's very different, right? I mean, Brooklyn Nets, you still have fans coming from Jersey, Long Island, the Islanders, you know, they're, those are those are you know long those are Long Island people. I mean, mm-hmm. for the most part, so you know demographics, and then you know I think just um, depending on the brand that you're talking to. So you know if you're talking to a bigger brand like Geico, I mean, makes a ton of sense, right? They're they're already activating in in the NHL and all these other sports. And, um, but then when you look at, you know, smaller companies, like more reg- like more local company, more regionally focused, what, you know, maybe it's like a supermarket, um, or, uh, a bus, you know, busing company. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gonna, you know, uh, you know, again, the, so with the smaller companies, it's also going to just come down to, you know, does it, again, does it make sense? Does it, you know, demographics budget? Um, and, you know, I think as, you know, for ones where, maybe some of those things don't line up as well. That's again, where you have to be even more creative and like, mm-hmm. you can't just, um, you know, copy and paste what, you know, what we're doing with the nets. Like that's where you have to um, really show what can we do with hockey. And I think part of that, it's, it's also an education process. I mean, frankly, you know, I didn't know too much about hockey until I started working the Islanders and, um, and then, which was, which was amazing because I, I wanted more, you know, I think wanted more responsibility, wanted more exposure to all facets of the industry. And, I think once I was able to uh, better understand the sport, whether it's just, you know, just being around the game and actually, you know, physically also being at these games mm-hmm. and understanding, you know, a dashboard signage is different than a courtside signage, you know? So it, it's just understanding the nuances of the game and then being able to educate your partners. And um, again, understanding what are their goals, what are their challenges and then figuring out some type of, you know, marketing play, within you know the game of hockey or again within the g league or whatever other you know properties we had at our disposal and then just providing a solution i love it and and so let's talk about that for a second you know as as i said so you started out it was the barclay center you have all these uh music and and entertainment stuff that's going on obviously you have the the brooklyn nets that just moved there a couple years into your tenure you then get the islanders come in so what I like, what is that like? I mean, from and, and maybe we could talk about it a little later. You don't work there anymore. So maybe maybe we can be honest. It never made sense to me that the Islanders moved there. As you said, it was hardcore Long Island fans. And now they have to trek to Brooklyn. And it doesn't sound that bad if you're not from New York City. But good luck getting from Long Island to, to Brooklyn at, by seven o'clock after you get it to work at 530 and then have to drive home. Like it never made any sense to me. But in terms of integrating them into BSE and, and you being there, essentially seeing all that happen, what is that like? Because that really doesn't happen too often in sports, right? You very rarely see something like that happen. So it's kind of cool. You were on the front line. You were on the you know boots on the ground. What what was it like from your standpoint? Yeah, it was it was definitely a very interesting dynamic. Um, I think we knew that from the beginning. I mean, uh, totally separate ownership group Mm -hmm. and we were just handling all the business operations. Um, you know, for me, I, you know, I think I alluded to this earlier, like I loved it. I, I, for me, it was just another, another, uh, another team in our building, another asset that I could bring to my partners. Um, again, it was a new sport that I wasn't as familiar with. So I just, uh, I, I embraced it and, I love having the team in Brooklyn. I mean, I, I know the building was not made for hockey. Um, 
but that horn, yeah, too. that horn in the beginning was ridiculous. Uh, that was there, insane. If you don't remember, were, Google that. That was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, there were definitely tweaks that needed to be made. And again, at the end of the day, it, it, the building wasn't made for hockey. It, you know, hockey. It was. It was the Brooklyn Nets. You know, Barclays Center is the Brooklyn Nets' home. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think it was just uh, again. I I love having the team there. Um, there was you know, I'll, there's some very you know unforgettable moments. Um, I don't, there's you know just games that I was at and. Um, and just, you know, I think an appreciation for a fan base that I wasn't familiar with. Like also, you know, because I grew up as a Nets fan, I, I think I could relate more with these, mm-hmm. you know, with Nets fans and, and the team that I, you know, was already working on. But then to, uh, to have this new fan base and new team, it just, it, it made, it was just a different experience that I hadn't had before. Um, and then to, you know, not just be a fan, of course, and most importantly was just how do you, how do you monetize, you know, this team and, you know, figure out uh, different partnership opportunities. Like that was, that was exciting. And uh, it just gave us, I think more, more ammo and just, you know, more tools to be able to, you know, go to our partners and try to see how we can help them. Yeah, exactly. As you've been saying this whole time, you're here to add solutions. You're here to help these, these brands and get their name out there, right? People have to know the brand exists before they can even buy something from it. So brand awareness is one of the most important things in live sports. I, I was just speaking with uh, Sean Pate of Zenny recently, which was a lot of fun. Uh, he was pretty much saying like live sport is the last live thing that you ever need to watch. If, if you're not watching like some people, my girlfriend's a huge dancing with the stars fan. I mean, we could start that an hour late, skip through a boatload of commercials and then really just catch the tail end of it live. So you really don't have to notice sports are the last. I can't remember the word he used, but it is the last frontier of the only reason I have cable. And I spoke with Verizon today and I told the lady, I was like, the only reason I have cable is to watch sports. And she laughed. She's like, that's pretty much what everyone says now. It's like, all right, well, that's good to know. Hopefully you're out of business soon. But what was it like, again, going to these partners and, and I guess more so, what was the diversity like in terms of understanding, okay, this is 100% a hockey partner. This is 100% a Brooklyn Nets partner. This is actually neither hockey or you know um, basketball, but this might actually be really good for the entertainment and the, the, the music. Like, How did you go about those types of relationships, especially a little while after the Islanders came on? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I... I was very fortunate where I had global, national, and local partners. So, you know, there, uh, Geico was one example. That was a partner that I, I got to manage. And obviously, you know, they're, they're everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I got to work on Coca-Cola, uh, McDonald's. So, you know, so again, you know Fortune 500 blue chip companies. Um, I think for them, uh, a lot of, for the bigger brands, you it seems to be a lot of, you know, TV visibility. So it's not necessarily about the, you know, which sport it is, but it's just a matter of like, again, just getting eyeballs. Right. So, um, but then, you know, you think about kind of the, the more local regional partners. Um, you know, one of my partners was key food. They were the official supermarket of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and, you know, at the time we, you know, presented them with the New York Islanders opportunity. It frankly just didn't make much sense because, most of their stores are based in the New York city area, mm-hmm. not in long Island. Yeah. So, you know, that one, that makes sense. But, um, you know, then you also have, uh, you know, different brands. And I think you see this with the bigger brands. Uh, but I think more so probably with the smaller brands, uh, I think some, some of these companies are buying partnerships just out of, out of passion, you know, just be, maybe they, 
they just love the sport. Um, and they just want that sweet, right? That's really, they just want that sweet. Yeah. They just want to be at the game. They just, they want that VIP experience. Um, and, and that, and that's okay too, you know, and as long as, you know, at, you know, for us at the end of the day, you know, we want, we want our partners to be happy. So mm-hmm. if the person who's making that decision and, you know, his boss or, you know, his, his own, you know, co-owner, whoever, you know, he has to, or she has to make that decision with, as long as they're happy. So whatever the reason may be, you know, again, it has to make sense, but you know, there are, you know, there, of course, there's going to be those instances where, you know, frankly, sometimes it just may not make as much sense, but if, Hey, if they, if they want to, you know, be a partner of college basketball, but you know, they, they think it's a similar demo to the NBA and it's not, again, that's where I think having, I think having close, good relationships with your partners and clients is key because, you know, just being transparent, um, helps as well. Um, because I think at the end of the day, you want people to ultimately want to, you want to set these partnerships up for success long-term, even if it's a one year deal, I think just as long as the partner understands everything that's involved and again, I, I, I just rather supply the information. And if they, at the end of the day, they still decide it makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. And frankly, if they're, you know, they're paying us on time. And of course, if we're, you know, we're, as long as we're delivering, you know, our doing our part, delivering assets, like, then, uh, then that's success to me. Then we, yeah, nobody should be angry in that situation. If they just want a suite, man, we can give you a suite and it's going to be a hell of a nice suite, which I think is important. And so moving from the nets, you, you slid it in there a couple times already the, with BSE, you were working on the long Island nets as well. So the nets G league team, and you eventually did after BSE, after spending what, four, four plus years there, you four ended up ago. going to the NBA G league and helping out with uh, new business development. So the NBA G League, for people that don't know, used to be the developmental league. Then Gatorade came in. They rebranded it to the G League, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Really smart on their part. But it is the minor leagues, essentially, of the NBA. And so one thing, you know, I'm a huge baseball fan. And, you know, minor league baseball, minor leagues is usually um, synonymous with baseball at that point. They have to do the craziest stuff just to get people to come to the ballparks. Because unless there's like a really top prospect on one of the teams, you really don't care that much. You're just kind of going. It's a $10 ticket. Okay, there's some beer and a hot dog. Spend a couple of hours, and then you can go back home with something to do. But in terms of the G League, what was that like? Because the G League really didn't start to catch a stride for a few years into its uh, into its um, inception. What was that like for you? And, and I guess how fun and creative were you encouraged to be to, again, just try and get as much new business to come along as possible? Yeah, no, the G League was just another amazing opportunity for me, especially because, you know, I did four years, uh, you know, working with BSC global. So I worked with teams and, um, and venues and I saw the, I think the opportunity for me to go to the G league was special because I, it was another property, but I was going to be working at a league level. And I think that was, you know, something again, I hadn't had experience doing. So, um, and, you know, I think specifically, you know, not just NBA, but the G league itself, it was a growing property. I also kind of similar to how I started a year after the Nets moved to Brooklyn. I started, you know, re- you know not too long after the rebrand happened, mm-hmm. you know, where they became from, went from D League to G League. Um, and, you know, that the G League, I mean, you know, just like with minor, you know, when you think of minor league sports, uh, you know, it's, you know, definitely you have that flexibility, right? You, you're, you're supposed to be innovative um, and, you know, I think that was part of the uh, the opportunity and also the challenge is, you know, how do we continue to innovate the game? How do we 
find innovative partnerships? Um, you know, how can we uh, maybe do things that or offer things that brands typically wouldn't have access to? Um, you know, and a great our, our a great case study and example was was Gatorade. I mean, Gatorade, yeah, they, they put their name on the league, but a lot of people don't realize, you know, the, why they're doing that is because they they want the information and the and, and the data and the science that they're gathering by working with the G League, and that you know that's whether it's like sweat testing, doing recovery programs, they're taking all that information and you know using it as fuel. To, to also do innovation for their products. Um, so I think, you know, I was, you know, just fortunate to, you know, be able to try to bring in new business, try to bring on partners that, you know, also typically the NBA may not necessarily even look at like the, you know, cause the, you know, when you think of the NBA partner list, you're, you're thinking of, you know, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world, you know, I think, the, you know, when you talk, we think about minor league sports, again, you know, there's just opportunity. Maybe you could look at, um, you know, maybe more of an up and coming brand, maybe more, uh, maybe more of a startup, more of a, a challenger brand. Um, so, and then I think also just with current partners, just, you know, again, with Gatorade, giving them access that they wouldn't have with, you know, even with the NBA or, you know, if there were other, you know, major leagues. Um, and then also, you know, how do we help uh, try to provide more value to the current uh, Julie partners and being able to do things again that you know typically they wouldn't have access to. Yeah, especially at the league level, there is so 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 much more you can do, right? Than at the player level, than at the team level. At the league level, you pretty much can do whatever the hell you want at that point. And understanding the goal was to promote the league, so that way it now, I mean, now in 2020, well, before everything really, it, the G League's on ESPN, right? I have ESPN Plus. You can watch pretty much any G League game you want, which is pretty cool considering, again, where it was. They thought it was going to fold pretty early on. Now they have the um, the G League team that allows college kids to not have to go to college anymore, yeah. which I'm a huge fan of. I think it's great. Hey, you want to, instead of going to Duke, and I'm a very big Duke fan, but instead of going to Duke and making 300K, why don't you just come over here? We'll give you that 500K check, and you don't have to go to class or pretend that you're going to class. Like We can all be very honest about that, but that's another conversation. I'll have to get a lawyer on to talk about that one. Um, but I guess like in, in terms of... of what you were able to do, like what were some of the things that you looked at creatively and like how, how far down did you go? Did you try and grab those top prospects and, and integrate them into some marketing campaigns? Or did you go to some of the top teams, Westchester Knicks, potentially the Long Island Nets, just to try and grab those regional clusters of people? Like, how did you look at it? I mean, you were there for a couple of years. So I'm sure there's a couple of different things that you were able to accomplish during that time period. Yeah. So one thing that I got to work on, um, you know, that comes to mind is uh, MGM Resorts. So MGM Resorts was not a G League partner at the time, but they, uh, or I believe, you know, they may have been, but regardless, even if they were, uh, well, we, we basically extracted as much value out of that, out of that mm -hmm. relationship as we could. And what we ended up doing was um, there, every year there's the NBA G League Showcase event, which is where all the teams come into one market, they're playing a bunch of games. Uh, all the NBA scouts are there and general managers, um, you know, and what we did was we, you know, and I'm sure, as, you know, if you've heard, you know, the, the NBA very much loves Las Vegas, right? I mean, mm -hmm. especially with Summer League being Las Vegas, it's, um, it's like always almost like the second home of basketball, especially during the summer. And we ended up taking our, our G League Showcase event, which 
you know, had last been in Mississauga, Ontario. So right outside of Toronto, um, it, uh, the year, I think prior, two years before that, it was in Santa Cruz. We took that event and, you know, rather than put it in a, one of the team's home markets, we put it, you know, we conducted it in Las Vegas. Um, and, you know, it was a nice, again, a nice parallel because, again, basketball was played there during the summer. Why not, you know, have it there, uh, you know, during the NBA season, uh, which we're accustomed to. Um, so that, that was, you know, a pretty awesome opportunity to help, you know, I think and also just being in Vegas, just, you know, just brighter lights, just more exposure uh, for the G League itself. Um, you know, in terms of new business, you know, for me, it was uh, trying to look at, you know, partners that our new business team as a whole, you know, wasn't looking at at all. So I really, my, my task was to try to find G league only partners because mm -hmm. until that point, all the, all of our partnerships uh, were part of larger MBA deals. Yeah. And, you know, again, within the MBA's goal partnerships group, I mean, they're trying to sell across all the properties. So MBA, G league, WMBA, 2K league. So I was just looking at just brands that were in, any open categories that we have um, or categories that were up for renewal soon. And, you know, it's just seeing like who's, you know, who is maybe just dipped their toe in sports, like who just did a minor league deal, mm -hmm. who maybe has done nothing in sports, but I know, I know they just, you know, spent a bunch of money on a TV commercial um, or, you know, they just bought a bunch of media you know, or maybe it's a brand that is endemic to sports. Uh, so maybe it's like a some type of recovery tool, if you will, mm -hmm. or something. And you know, again, they maybe they never sponsor sports, but hey, maybe they would be interested in doing something similar like we did with Gatorade. Like, do they want access to our league? I mean, again, you know, thinking about what's unique about us, you know, maybe that's something that uh, a sports performance, you know, something again, endemic to the game of basketball that type of company might have interest in. Yeah. So, I think, oh, sorry. Keep going. No, no. And then, so that, I think that was kind of the, the approach. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, I think that's a really great way of looking at it because again, if you're just pulling from the NBA partnerships, it's just going to drain those down, right? You don't want to, you know, they're, they're NBA partners for a reason. And I'm sure they could do more business with the G league, but obviously you want to go out and again, you want to, you're it's the NBA G league. So you're not going to separate too far, but it is nice to allow people to understand, Hey, this is another entity. You can do different things. As you said, with Gatorade, you can start to figure out like, Hey, you, you can have access to the players and, and the, the, the biometrics and all these other things. Like I'm sure whoop was on your list. If it was, uh, you know, if it's not on their list already, I'm sure it's, it has been. And, and just the opportunity to utilize these players and what they've done while they're doing all these things, I think is pretty cool. And we actually have a question. I don't know if you'll be able to answer this and this is why we do it live because it's a little more fun from Adam. Um, do you think because of COVID more teams are going to look to sell or not run their G league teams? Apparently the Suns have already sold theirs. Like, I, I don't think that's a question you can ask, but being a little or an answer, but being a little bit closer to the inside, not without telling us, obviously the financials or anything like was, is it, is there a really fine line of margin there for the G league or are they able to really draw down from their teams a little bit more? Yeah, the interesting thing there is most of the teams are owned by the NBA parent club, mm -hmm. right? That's a big difference between yeah. the NBA and the G League model versus the MLB and minor league baseball model. Mm -hmm. the, as you know, yeah. I think the majority, if not all, the minor league baseball teams, they're, 
besides their the affiliation with mm-hmm. the with their major league club, yep. there's they're not there's not it's not owned. Um, so there you know there's that aspect. Um, but just like with minor league teams, they a lot of these teams do depend on attendance. Yep. So it will be interesting to see because again you have these teams for the most part have the backing of the NBA parent team and they, they see the value in their G league team as, as a, you know, a place for development. Um, and, you know, especially now that it's just, there's so much more talent that's coming in every year and just uh, you, these teams can't play all these guys on the NBA. So they have to send them down or mm-hmm. guys are getting injured. You're seeing, you know, all-star caliber players that also still get sent down to play with their G league team because, you know they don't want they don't want them playing full five on five against their NBA squad. So you know there's always going to be that. But then of course, I mean I think when we saw it with you know minor league baseball, if teams are not able to be financially you know stable, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough proposition to to keep it. So I think you're going to see it's uh, you're almost going to see a little bit of business first basketball. I think that's mm-hmm. where you know it's going to it's going to I think that's maybe where the decision comes is. Okay, maybe maybe financially we're we're struggling, but does it still make sense from a basketball perspective, uh, you know, to to run run the team? So I I hope I hope I hope uh, you know there's le- you know I hope that doesn't it's not the case. I mean I, I hope you know teams you know my, the minor, the G League teams continue to be successful, and you know this professional path team that you were mentioning. I hope you know they're able to get up, get things up and running smoothly, you know, given COVID. So it'll be interesting to definitely, uh, you know, see as this time goes on. Yeah. It, it's, it's unfortunate as you were kind of talking about with the MLB, I mean, they're considering, I think, wiping out about a third of the teams affiliated. And as you said, the, the, the team affiliation is very important because that is something that drives attendance, right? I'm not, I'm going to a Syracuse Mets game because I want to see the Mets top prospects. I'm not going to a Syracuse Mets game because I like the Syracuse Mets. Sorry, Syracuse Mets. Right. So if right. they're not driving attendance in any way, shape or form, and they're losing this affiliation and they're pulling their players out, that is a huge, huge problem. And it really can uh, do something detrimental. So, you know, obviously we're crossing our fingers that does not happen, but thank you for the question, Adam. So, Moving on from the G League, I do want to talk a little bit about what you're doing now, which I think is pretty darn cool. So you are a director of corporate consulting, correct? Correct. Director of corporate consulting at Genesco Sports Enterprises. Um, You were explaining it to me a little bit before. You work on the PepsiCo side and help them with any of their sports marketing affiliations like uh, Buffalo Wild Wings you were talking about. That's the one that I heard because... Huge chicken wing fan, but tell me a little bit more exactly, I guess, about your job and and what you do. What's what's a day in the life look like for Samson? Sure. So, uh, so Jessica Sports Enterprises, we're we're a sports marketing consultancy, um, and and we focus primarily on on brand consulting. We we work strictly with with brands and trying to help our corporate clients optimize and uh, and maximize really their their sports sponsorship investment. So, uh, PepsiCo is is um, you know our biggest client. And the part of the business I work on is uh, I work with their food service customer marketing team. So as you were alluding to, I mean, basically any type of sports related programming that PepsiCo does with their food service customers. So Buffalo Wild Wings, um, Little Caesars, Jersey Mike's, all these places that serve, you know, either Pepsi beverages and or Frito-Lay snacks. Um, it's just kind of helping create and and then execute different types of programming. So uh, you know, day in the life. To give you an example, one uh, you know very exciting uh, campaign I got to work on. I'm not sure if you're 
I know you're a Jersey guy, so maybe you might be a Jersey Mike's fan. Um, but in the month of July, there was uh, this campaign um, called Aaron's Way. So if you went to Jersey yes. Mike's, um, you might probably you might have seen the commercial. commercials. Yeah, they were pretty yeah. good. Uh, so uh, so if, if basically, if you went to Jersey Mike's during the month of July and you got your if you got if you bought a sub, you could get it Aaron's Way, which is adding chips and a drink for two ninety nine. And then part of the proceeds go towards his foundation, the All Rise Foundation, which is all about uh, empowering youth um, and you know youth development. Um, so you know we that was one of the first products I got to work on when I started at Genesco and um, and you know got to actually go out to Los Angeles in January to do the production shoot to film that that TV commercial and you know we did some digital content series which were online and you know, obviously created uh, in-store POS and, and out-of-home billboards. Um, so, you know, to see that all come to life, um, especially during this time, because, mm-hmm. you know, again, we filmed this stuff back in January and then obviously COVID hit in March. And then, you know, just trying to figure out, uh, you, know, sh- you know, when is this going to launch? Yep. Yep. You know, if we launch it, how are we messaging it now? You know, the messaging, you know, we, ha- you know, we don't want to come across as tone deaf. So we have to make sure we're, you know, we're speaking to the audience as if it's today and, you know, in the future, uh, you know, currently. And uh, so that was, uh, you know, that was a really fun, um, you know, opportunity to be a part of and, you know, just helping kind of bring that together, you know, working closely with the client, working with Aaron and his team, uh, you know, just to make sure, you know, we're uh, kind of just, you know, again, just bringing it all to life. Yeah, anybody that hasn't seen that commercial, it's pretty funny. Uh, definitely first time caught me off guard. I, I had a lot of fun with that one. So definitely check that out. And I guess, how how integrated are you in that process? Like, I'm sure, are, are you guys, how much of a hand do you have in that creative? Like, I'm, I'm assuming you guys, you're, you're consulting in some form, but you're not making the creative. But please correct me if I'm wrong. But how, how much, like, control or how much... Um, uh, influence do you have over that type of campaign? Sure. So we're not a creative agency, yeah. like, as you know, but um, I would say we're we're very involved from the strat, definitely from a strategy perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think um, our role is to help consult our clients on how to how can PepsiCo best leverage their current assets, or in this case, this was an incremental part of Aaron's endorsement deal they already have with Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, again, he's already endorsing Pepsi, but this was yeah, an Pepsi Max a, too, right? That's uh I think like well he maybe I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I know he's a Pepsi, you know, he's a Pepsi uh, endorser, but this was something that, you know, we specifically wanted to do on behalf of the one of their biggest biggest customers, Jersey mm-hmm. Mike's. Um and, you know, there were already some some natural uh, you know, ties, you know, Jersey Mike's and Pepsi are, are both Yankees partners. So there was that, um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, we, so we helped with, again, just kind of how do we, what's the best way to bring this to life? Um, we help, you know, negotiate that separate endorsement deal with Aaron, you know, want to make sure we're unlocking as much value as mm-hmm. we can. Right. So are we, you know, putting in the you know, proper amount of production time, uh, making sure, you know, we're getting some signed, some signed autographed items that, you know, Pepsi can, can have, or, you know, even better, you know, make sure the Jersey Mike CEO or executives can have something, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, you know, they can be, you know, just to help them as, as a, just as a keepsake to, you know, about this for this campaign. Um, so, 
you know, again, yeah, again, not, you know, really just have just kind of managing really very, very ingrained, you know, I guess there's the short answer um, and just kind of managing the process, you know, working out again, working on behalf of the, on the client to make sure we're getting as much as we can, you know, from Aaron. Um, and, you know, but ultimately we, you know, how do we just drive value back to Jersey Mike's, you know, want to help Jersey Mike's uh, sell more subs and, and ultimately sell more, uh, you know, Pepsi products and, you know, and Frito-Lay chips. I'm I'm for it, man. I'm I lived outside of New Jersey for a little while, and that's where I like Jersey Mike's the most. Here in New Jersey, no offense, Jersey Mike's, but I'm gonna probably just like head to a sub shop or something. But it's still solid. It's good stuff. So I I think and again the 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 integration what you guys did and how you were able to do it I thought was really cool. And in terms of you know you brought it up a little bit, and I'm kind of curious in terms of the pandemic and in terms of you guys did all this stuff in January and then it was supposed to come to life. It finally launched in July. What did that do right like I, I assume the campaign can't nearly be as successful if people can't go there and sit down in the store and scroll on their phones and do all the things that they need to do how did you still see it affect jersey mike's business even with everything that's going on yeah so i mean you know we, we shot that tv commercial in january and then you know when we launched it in uh in july we had to you know the the tv commercial there's a you know there's a bunch of people within the jersey mike store mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously that's, there's not you know, a good, no, not a good that, look. Right? No, you can't, you know, no social distancing, you know, no one's wearing masks. Yep. Um, Cause of so, course you knew in G- January that that needed to happen. Right. It's right, just like, that sucks. <laughs> all right. Who, who knew that the world was going to completely turn over um, two months later. And, but uh, you know, so, you know, with the TV commercial, you know, I think uh, we had to decide, you know, uh, we're still going to use it. And, you know, I think obviously we, we still wanted to, because, you know, we spent, it was a lot. It's a big investment on behalf of uh, Pepsi and you know PepsiCo and Jersey Mike's uh, and subs to to do this. And you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Jersey Mike's was still their business was up and running during the pandemic. You know, they're still delivering and doing pickup orders. So you know, if you watch that commercial, the it ran as is. But at the end, there's an end card, and they, it says, you know, make sure you order. You know, mm-hmm. for you know, deliver you know, contactless delivery or you know, or, or pickup. So you know, something like a small tweak like that is something I would include. Um, you know, the 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 digital like the digital content series like that was all fine because that was we filmed that it was just Aaron alone within mm-hmm. the Dirty Mike store. So there weren't, weren't any tweaks that we had to do there. Um, but you know, I'm I'm very grateful again to say like it, 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 overall, you know, we we were still able to run it. Um, you know, it was a successful program, you know, I'm glad that, you know, the pandemic didn't, mm-hmm. you know, hinder us too much. Um, so, you know, it was pretty cool. I, I love it. I'll probably put the link, uh, in the, in the show notes for anybody checking out uh, on YouTube and, or, uh, through the podcast, because again, it, it made me laugh. It totally caught me off guard, but in terms of, you know, outside of Jersey Mike's and, and just in terms of all the other opportunities that you work on, how have you seen, this pandemic affect i mean again buffalo wild wings i i like going to buffalo wild wings more than i actually like eating buffalo wild wings right it's like that opportunity to sit down everybody's screaming you have all the sports on it's awesome how are you starting to see this affect some of pepsi specifically there's some of their food service partners in you know and unfortunately a, a negative way and how much of this do you think will continue for the foreseeable future yeah, and I mean, let me, I, I just want to clarify. I know you're not you're like, vi- like I know you're not an epidemiologist, and we don't know when the hell that's going to end. Let's say we get to that right. point, then like, how much longer do you think some of these effects will take place? 
Yeah, no, no, I was going to say, I mean, I, it definitely will depend on, you know, yeah. when the pandemic slows down or, or just dies down completely. And, you know, when we have a vaccine, I mean, for sure. Um, separate of that, I mean, you know, I think there's certain customers, depending on the industry that they're in, that, you know, hit the hardest, right? Like you think about hospitality, yep. you know, hotels, cruise lines. I mean, that's, uh, I, you know, I know they're open, but, you know, they're yeah. definitely still, they're still, you know, feeling the effects. Um, so I think that's going to take time there. And then, you know, I think, I think the, you know, restaurant business, you know, again, we mentioned Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, Jersey Mike's, you know, uh, so I think, especially the ones that, you know, have, uh, were set up prior to the pandemic, you know, set up well for success with, you know, delivery and pickup options. And, you know, even having like their own app, like, I think those are going to, you know, they've been, they've been able to stay strong and hopefully they'll continue to stay that way. And then unfortunately there's others that I think are, you know, haven't been successful, you know, again, whether it's hospitality or some of the restaurant industry or across different, uh, different industries that these customers are in. It's just, it's the pandemic just hit them harder. And it's, I think it's going to take time. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of them are just going to try to figure out first and foremost, you know, how can they, sustain their business? How can they stay alive within this pandemic? Um, and then, you know, hopefully, especially as sports continues to come back, you know, companies, you know, these customers see sports as, you know, not as a, oh man, like I, I don't, you know, I, I'm still having trouble, you know, you know, operating our business, but it's more so, well, you know, actually sports can, you know, help us mm-hmm. maybe, yep. you know, bring in some more customers, you know, o- operate a little, uh, you know, better uh, than maybe that, you know, we were, if we weren't doing something, you know, with PepsiCo and, and, you know, and tapping into the different, you know, partnerships and, you know, sponsorships that they have. So, yeah. And as we were saying before, right, you, you still have to watch sports live. So there's still some sort of opportunity there, but I don't want to end this on a negative note. I do want to end this on a positive note. So what are some of the innovations and some of the creativity that you're starting to see from your group and, and maybe some of your counterparts that are ca- starting to come out of this situation that you can see really being able to catapult and thrust that industry forward? I mean, just as an example, esports has grown like three years in the last six months kind of thing, right? And I'm sure Pepsi has some relationships with some people somewhere in esports, right? So what are some of the the positives and some of the innovations and creativity that's been able to come from this that you guys are able to utilize now moving forward? Yeah, I think, oh yeah, esports, I mean, yeah, it's growing and I think it's it's going to continue to grow. I think um, it's interesting for me to see uh, the different types of companies that are now activating in esports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like for actually, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings is, is an example. I mean, they're, they're doing now, they're doing more now with these sports. I mean, they, they recently filed a trademark to be the official bar of, uh, sports bar for esports. Um, what? How's that? Is, that's what? So, and they, they also, were, shout they out were, to them, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, they, well, they, cause they want to be able to say, you know, we're the home for, you know, watching esports mm-hmm. tournaments. So, you know, they also did a deal with League of, League of, League of Legends, uh, the League of Legends Championship Series. Um, you know, being able to do v- watch watch parties there. Um, you know, Pep- PepsiCo has um, esports relationships. So I think I think esports is just going to continue to grow. Um, I think in, in other inno- like innovations. Uh, I think interestingly, um, 
the more traditional sports marketing assets. So like kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, like TV visible signage, like that is going to be more uh, prevalent than ever because you know, again, no, no fans in the stands. Like it's hard to do activations, um, but everyone's going to be watching from their couch. So there's going to, you're going to see more signage than ever. Uh, so I think in a way it's kind of like that is something that was very old school is going to be uh, more popular, but they're, but you're seeing how they're going to try to take that old school and turn into new school and, and innovate. Right. So I think you're going to see more like digital signage. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I think that will be interesting to see uh, how that evolves, you know, how much digital signage, where are they placing it exact, exactly. Um, because the other thing too, I mean, a lot, you have to remember there's brands that bought this, you know, T visible signage pre pandemic. Yep. And what happens to their value? If you're putting all these other sponsors next to them in these new positions, you know, they, they, they may not be as happy. They might not feel like they're getting, you know, they signed up, you know, for the best deal. Uh, but again, you know, who knew that exactly. Yeah about covid so uh, it's interesting from the signage standpoint like i totally agree with you that was something it was dying it was dying it was dying and now it's kind of the most important thing because it's really the only thing you can do but it's really interesting from the bubble perspectives right we see the nba they're using like three courts but they always make it specific to the home team so when the nets were playing you know shout out the nets they just got eliminated the other day but when it was a nets home game you saw the digital uh pieces of the barclay center right there and then you saw some of their other um partners kind of layered around which i thought was a great way to do it and that's kind of the only way you can do it and for the uh, nhl bubbles i thought it was really cool that they would just change the signages around the border because i remember i was watching like a carolina hurricanes game and i was like it's in you know toronto why the hell are they advertising for the university of miami hospital and i was like oh duh it's a, it's a hurricanes game so it makes sense what they're doing the one thing, and I agree with you on the digital signage that I'm really curious to see what happens moving forward. I watch a lot of baseball, obviously. Haven't been able to because the Mets, of course, got COVID. It was kind of more of a matter of time than, you know, when. But they have, like, the DraftKings logo now. We're over some of the seats are right behind it. And so that's there. And, you know, you could see it. it's very prevalent and visible. But I agree with you. At what point do they have the, let's go with cojones, to put the live betting odds right there, right? Like at what point do they then start to really not just put DraftKings, but put DraftKings and then put the Mets current odds are, you know, plus 200 because they're losing by three runs. Like that is when I think it gets really interesting. And when you can start engaging fans a little bit more, especially from the betting side, uh, that I think will be, that will be the next level of that digital signage that I think you're talking about. I I agree with that. And yeah, I think the other thing too is, yeah, social digital for sure is going. I mean, en- yeah. engaging fans from a social digital perspective is is more important. But especially, how do you do it while they're watching the game? Yep. Because there's, let's be honest, there's less distractions now than ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're watching a game, you're you're pretty tuned into the game. You're still going to be on your phone. So how are these different? How are the properties and brands going to figure out the best way to engage with fans, especially while they're watching? And that is a job for our friend, Samson Feldman. He is the director of corporate consulting at Genesco Sports Enterprises. Samson, this was a blast, man. Thanks so much for your time today. Likewise. I appreciate it, Michael. Take care. Stay safe.